What a great reminder, and uh, if I thought of, uh, if I could think of one key word that as Steve was just sharing a moment ago, it's opportunities, and, and I got to tell you that one of the greatest opportunities in serving here through Genesis Church is in our Gen Kids ministry, because we believe very strongly uh, that, well, we don't do child care here at Genesis Church, uh, but we're about pouring into these kids' lives. It's about sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them and sharing the gospel with them, and we've got a phenomenal team of people that are serving in Gen Kids here at our Carmel campus, but if you are looking for a place to serve and you haven't got off the bench yet and found a place uh, to get into the action uh, here at our Carmel campus, I want to challenge you to think about serving with our Gen Kids team and especially uh, with the uh, new service coming in September, uh, well, we've got a spot for you and it's a great opportunity to serve and so you can check that out uh, with your worship program or stop by the Info Hub after the service and and somebody can help you. Hey, uh, my name is Paul Mumaw and uh, I'm the lead pastor pastor at Genesis Church, and uh, I spend most every Sunday over in Noblesville, but man, it it is a privilege, and I am so excited uh, to be here with you this morning. Uh, Your campus pastor, Steve Wall, and I, we did a little switcheroo today, and and so he's actually teaching over in Noblesville, which uh, enables me to be here with you, and uh, I am so excited and uh, just super pumped by all of the great things that are happening here and the stories that I'm hearing. I I love your team and uh, love you as a church and what God's doing through this place and believe that there is no telling uh, what he's going to do next or what's ahead uh, with our Carmel campus. And so it's very exciting to be a part of. And um, I am grateful uh, that I get the opportunity uh, to share with you today. And what I want to really talk about with you is this confidence that I have, this belief that I have that I know many of you share as well, that that God has a plan for your life and uh, he has a, a purpose for your life. And as we've been singing about with some of these songs about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to serve him. That means in anything and everything, no matter where you are, that when you're following Christ, there are no accidents and there are no coincidences and that I believe that God has gifted you. And even today, I believe that there may be a cause that he has for you in your life and he is just waiting. He is patiently waiting for you to respond to that cause with this attitude that says, yes, Lord, I'll serve you in this. And so we pray with me as we get started today. And I want to just really ask that God would open up our hearts and even with a familiar story like this, uh, maybe teach us something brand new today. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you um, because all of this, every bit of it is for you and for your glory. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that we can come into a place like this today and celebrate the name of Jesus Christ because he is our hope and he is the hope of this church and all of our trust and all of our faith is in him. And uh, God, we pray that you would guide us now in this time. Uh, As I mentioned a moment ago, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts today to maybe see something we've never seen before. And uh, there might be something in our lives even right now that you're going to point to and say that it's not an accident. And uh, God, I pray that you would show us what it means to be people of action today, to respond to you in anything and everything. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, uh, this summer I read a book, and uh, a book called The Hiding Place. And uh, have any of you ever read The Hiding Place before? Uh, Okay, we've got some people around the room that have done that. Well, The Hiding Place for me is just one of those books that will forever, like, be on my personal top ten list of books, a book that I'd recommend for everyone to read. Uh, If you're not familiar with the book, The Hiding Place is the true story uh, of a woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boom and her family, and uh, born in Amsterdam in 1892, grew 
Corey grew up in this devout Christian family, uh, the daughter of a watchmaker, and a profession that she followed in really becoming the, the country's first uh, licensed watchmaker in 1924. Well, if you know your history at all, uh, around 1940, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands. And in May 1942, a woman came to the Ten Boom family door uh, with a suitcase in her hand, and she told the Ten Booms about how she was a Jew and how, she, how, how the Nazis had arrested her husband. And because of this, her son had gone into hiding. And because of Nazi occupation authorities and how they had recently visited her at her home, she was re- afraid to return there. And well, having heard that the Ten Booms had reached out and loved and welcomed in their Jewish neighbors in the past, you know, she came to this family and said, you know, can, can I come stay with you? Really, can I come hide here? And the Ten Booms agreed. And from there, Corey and her family became a very active part in the Dutch underground, uh, providing care and safe refuge for Jews who were hiding from Hitler uh, and the Nazis during World War II. Now, the Ten Booms knew the risks they were taking and not only inviting in this woman, but so many others like her. And well, as the story goes, eventually their hideout was uncovered. Uh, Corey and her family were arrested and sent off to the work camps. And I won't share any more of the details with you in case you decide to read it for yourself. But to me, it's so intriguing when you consider how this Ten Boom home and for the Ten Boom family and, and how their home became this hideout. And it wasn't long after the Nazis had arrived in their land, that the abuse of the Jews began, and it didn't take long before the reality became the, the reality of what was happening really became this burden for Corey and her family, and they just found themselves saying things like, "Someone should do something." And what people like Corey Tinboom finally realized was that she was the someone. Well, we're continuing uh, in our series called The Story Today, and uh, we're reading through the Bible in 2013, if you're new and not familiar with what we're up to. Uh, if you've been following along in this storybook, we're in chapter 20 uh, of the story, or if you want to follow along in your own Bibles, we're in the book of Esther today. In fact, I, I would just direct you, if you want to follow along in your Bible or with something like you version, to go to, to Esther chapter 4. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at the story of one woman and how God used this one woman to really do some inspiring things things. Now, last week, if you were here, Steve talked about how the Jews were released from captivity uh, in Babylon and how they were allowed to go home, uh, but not all of them went home. And, and so these are the people that we're talking about today, those who remained behind in Babylon. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with the story of Esther at all, I'm going to do my best to try and tell you some of that story today. Um, it really is, the story of Esther, uh, a pretty fantastic story, and, and I want to tell you a little bit about it. But to do that, uh, I want to start the way a friend of mine started in telling this story as a way of kind of illustrating uh, what we would say would be the five main characters uh, in the, uh, the book of Esther. And so to do that, I, I've got some playing cards with me, and, and I want you to see right away from the very beginning of the story that one of our main characters... Well, is the king. And uh, this is King Xerxes, and uh, he's one of the main characters uh, in the story, and he's king over all of Persia. And and one day, this king of Persia decides to throw a party. Now, this isn't just any old party, but this was like a 180-day, all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-drink, you you know, sort of event. And, And it was one of those parties that when it ended, no one wanted to leave. Um, 
Do you have people like that in your life? You have them over for dinner, you have them over for a party, and like after a while, it's like, okay, you can go, you can get out of here. Well, that, that's kind of what's happening for Xerxes, and so he extends the party with this kind of special encore sort of a banquet, and that's why in Esther 1, it says that seven days after the seven days of partying, Xerxes sends for his wife, and she's the second character we meet in the story, and her name is Queen Vashti, and we'll just go ahead and call her the Queen of Diamonds, all right? This Queen Vashti, and uh, let's just say that Xerxes ordered Vashti to kind of come and entertain, uh, if you would, his guests. Uh, he wanted to show off his trophy wife, you know, to all of his friends and acquaintances here, um, but his wife said no. Uh, Queen Vashti refused, and the king was so embarrassed by her refusal that he had her thrown out of the palace and exiled uh, for life. And so this new search uh, for a new queen began. And, well, a beauty pageant uh, of sorts, if you would, was planned. Uh, king Xerxes sent out his aides throughout the entire kingdom to find women uh, who were beautiful enough to suit his tastes. And, uh, and so if you were a young woman and beautiful living at this time, and they happened to come across you, it wasn't like you had a choice whether or not to participate in this pageant. Um, well, if you were selected, you were just carted off to the king's palace uh, to prepare for this upcoming event. Now, some believe, some scholars believe there may have been as many as a thousand women that were selected for this pageant. And uh, one of those women uh, was a woman. Uh, in particular by the name of Esther, a Jewish woman. And for whatever reason, she happened to be at the right place at the right time, uh, captivating the king's aid with her beauty. Well, time passes. Uh, something like 12 months of preparation uh, for this particular pageant, waiting on this Persia's next top queen, you know, sort of event, if you would. But it's finally, it's Esther's turn to go before the king. And when she did... Her beauty overwhelmed him, and the Bible explains that he picked up his royal crown, and he placed it on her head, immediately pronouncing her queen, and so for Esther, what we're going to do is we're going to call her the queen of hearts, all right? She's our third character. She's the main character uh, in this story. Well, there's another important character in this story. Uh, his name is Mordecai, and, and I guess you could say we're stretching it a bit, but Mordecai is probably the ace in hand uh, for this particular story, and Mordecai is the older cousin to Esther. Uh, and because Esther had no parents, uh, Mordecai raised her, and before Esther went off to the palace, uh, Mordecai uh, makes what turns out to be a very clever and even important demand of Esther, uh, when she first goes away to the king's palace, he tells her not to reveal the fact that she is from the nation of Israel. He wants to, her to hide the fact that she is Jewish, and, and so she does this. You know, and finally, there's a fifth character. Uh, you need to know about Haman too, and he is one of the king's highest in command. We're going to go ahead and call Haman the Joker, uh, but it's not because he was funny. Uh, he's really a bad Joker. He's kind of like the Joker from Batman or something. He's the villain in this story, and he was just so full of himself. Uh, so full of pride and arrogance. And even though he wasn't king, uh, he actually expected any of the king's servants to bow down to him whatever he walked by. And and ever since Esther had moved into the palace, her cousin Mordecai made it a practice to regularly hang out uh, here at the king's gates. Well, one day Haman walks through these gates, and he notices that of all the people that are bowing down, there is one man in particular that refuses to bow, and it's this man, the cousin of Esther, a guy by the name of Mordecai. And Haman was just so upset that he plotted not only to kill Mordecai, 
but to destroy and wipe out all of the Jews that were living in Persia. And so he found a moment where he went before King Xerxes and he said to him, hey, there is a certain people that are scattered among this land right now in your kingdom whose laws are different than yours and they serve a different God. O king, he says, sign this decree and let's have them be destroyed. Well, King Xerxes is like, whatever, you know, do what you wish. You know, I've got greater problems to worry about than this. And remember, he doesn't know that his queen is Jewish. And so Haman got to work right away. And the Bible says that when Mordecai learned of this plot, he tore his clothes and he went out into the city and he wept amongst the people and that there was immense uh, mourning uh, with all of the Jews living in the land. And well, that's when Mordecai realized that he had to get word to his cousin, the queen, in Esther, that she was their only hope. And word finally got to Esther, and she was scared. And, well, she didn't think that there was anything that she could do about it whatsoever. She didn't have permission uh, to go before the king. uh, And you weren't allowed to do that unless you were called for. And she knew that if she were to go down to the king on her own terms, without him inviting her, that he had every right to kill her. But Mordecai wouldn't let up. And so Mordecai kept insisting, and he just begged her. He said, you know, Esther, he said, don't, don't think, as the Scripture says, because you are queen, that you alone will escape. He says, if you keep silent, relief and deliverance will, will rise for our people from another place at another time, but you and I and all your father's household will perish. And then he gives the punchline. And if you're familiar with this story at all, if you've ever done any story or study of this story, you you probably know what I'm talking about. But it's really the convincing statement that that Mordecai just helped kind of push her over the edge in her fears when he says to her, and who knows, Esther, that maybe you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Just, Just kind of putting these words in here that you are in the right place at the right time for a moment just like this. And so Esther decides to act, but not knowing what to do and not yet filled really with the courage to take this next step, Esther asked Mordecai to pray. And not only did she ask Mordecai to pray and fast, but she encouraged Mordecai to get all of the Jews praying and fasting. And she said, I'll do the same. And she said, just pray for my strength and pray for my courage and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days and I'll do the same. And when three days pass, I'll go to the king. And she says, if I perish... I perish. Well, on the third day after fasting and praying, Esther uh, puts on her royal robes and just kind of takes this deep breath and walks into the king chambers. And the king was sitting there on his throne facing the door. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in his court, she won favor in his eyes. And King Xerxes asked, what is it, Queen Esther, what is it that you want? Well, Esther wasn't quite ready to ask this huge favor of the king yet, and so she decides to host a banquet, and in that moment, she invited the king, but as well as Haman, to come to this banquet, and in the midst of all of the festivities, you know, the king and Haman are there, and there's this drinking and lots of good times, and it's in that moment that the king remembers that there's this request that Esther's going to make, and so he asks her, you know, what is it that you want? Up up to half of the kingdom, it's yours if you want it, but Esther kind of chickens out in the moment. I mean, she really doesn't have the nerve yet to make, you know, such an ask of the king. I mean, again, it's a big request, and plus Haman's in the room. I mean, the very guy who's plotting to wipe out all of the Jews is right there. So she says, well, why don't you come back tomorrow night? Let, let's do this again tomorrow night. I'll make dinner again tomorrow night. And, and so Haman left in high spirits, but when, 
But when he got outside of the king's palace and he got outside the gates, there's Mordecai again, and he refuses to bow down to Haman. And so this joker Haman is so filled with anger that he, he, he orders for these gallows to be built so that Haman can be you know, hanged once and for all. Well, finally, the next day, as the king and Haman are again at this banquet that Esther is hosting, and they're drinking wine, you know, and, and the king, pleased with Esther, he asked her, queen, queen Esther, what again is your request? Even half the kingdom, it's yours. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Well, Esther's time had come. And in that moment, with all of the courage that she had inside of her, she replied, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant my life, and spare all of my people too, for I and my people have been sold for destruction and annihilation. And in that moment, you know, we, we can only imagine and picture that the king just comes unraveled and, and he demands, who is this man? Who dares do such a thing? And King Esther replied, the joker Haman. And immediately Haman was dragged out and he was hanged on the very gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And not too long after that, the king sends out this new decree and eventually Esther and her people are saved because of her passion and because of her courage uh, to go before her God, an entire nation was saved. Now here's what fascinates me the most about a story like this. It's in this story that we see a young woman an innocent bystander of sorts who was willing to risk everything, including her own life. I mean, she was willing to risk her position and all of the comforts of the palace and everything that came with that for this cause that in the moment had captured her. And this great burden in Esther's life really rises to the surface, if you would, in Esther chapter 4. And it's at this point where Esther has learned uh, that the king has authorized this plan to wipe out and destroy all of the Jewish people. And and this is the conversation that Esther had with her cousin Mordecai. And what they're doing is they're just kind of sending messages back and forth before text messaging, but sending these messages back and forth with a uh, a servant in between. And I want to read a few of these verses for you. We pick it up in Esther 4, verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. And then she says, But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the the king. See, again, Esther knew that you know, she couldn't just go before the king without an invitation. And if she did that, that she very well could die. And I mean, think about what happened to Queen Vashti. Now, he didn't kill Queen Vashti, but he had her banished and even exiled uh, for the rest of her life. And, and at a time like this, too, Esther's probably wondering, you know, does he have any need for me anymore? I mean, it had been 30 days, and it wasn't like this king didn't have a, a concubine and a harem of other women. And so Esther had to be thinking that King Xerxes had lost lost interest in her. Verse 12, it says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And then he says those classic words, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Those words, for such a time as this, are unquestionably the most famous words in the story. 
And they're really words, it's really a phrase, you know, that, that defines the calling that God had put on her life. And it's interesting when you think about it, when you examine Scripture and when you talk to other people and you listen to their stories, you know, people who would describe this calling from God, and, and I think this is so important. You know, especially if you're in a place right now and you're struggling to find your calling and you're looking and you're seeking, wanting to discover what it is that God has made you for, or even what he's preparing for you, because I think just more than we realize, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, that you don't find your calling as much as your calling finds you. That you don't find your calling as much as your calling finds you. I mean, more than you think, more than we realize, it all begins when you start with those simple but maybe interesting words, maybe innocent words that kind of like Esther's, kind of like Corinne, that someone should do something about this. And isn't it true? I mean, again, even as we've read through the story together and the story after story that we've looked at, that someone goes, you know, innocently out about their day and they're going about life and then all of a sudden something happens and someone sees a need, someone's being abused, and all of a sudden there's this moment when a person stops and says, you know what, someone should do something about this. I mean, that's kind of what happened to Moses. I mean, when you think about Moses' life and he's outside of the palace and he's watched as his people were being beaten and punished and abused as slaves, and it brought such pain and agony to his heart that there was just a moment where he was like, you know what, someone should do something about this. You know, the same is true of David. I mean, he, David watched as Goliath mocked all of these people of Israel, and he witnessed firsthand you know, how his brothers and, and soldiers and even the king Saul himself crumbled in fear. And it's when David had a moment like this, and he probably was thinking something like these words to himself, that someone should do something about this. And that's where we are with Esther. I mean, that's where she is. I mean, she's having one of these, someone should do something about this kind of moments when all of a sudden her cousin Mordecai is right there to point out to you, Esther, it's you. Like, that someone is really you. And you can see that for yourself. And look at what happens when someone like Esther, you know, finds herself in a moment like this, and all of a sudden she starts realizing that her life and her circumstances aren't by accident, that it's not random, it's not a coincidence, but rather that God has her in this time and this place for a reason. I mean, it's really, if you would, this God-ordained sort of intersection where all of a sudden she realizes that her unique gifts and passion have opened the door for a very unique opportunity. Now, what was Esther's gift? Well, honestly, it was her looks. I mean, it really was. I mean, she was beautiful. I mean, if you read the story, if you read the, the, the book for yourself, I mean, in Esther 2.7, it says that this young woman was lovely in form and features. Husbands, try a line like that out on your wife tonight, you know? I mean, you know, kind of in your Barry White sort of a voice. Baby, you are lovely in form and features, you know? I mean, see how that works out for you, you know? See if you don't get some belly button to belly button time out of it. And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, you need to watch our marriage series online or listen to that marriage series. But seriously, that was Esther's gift. I mean, that was her gift. Now, I know that might be difficult for you to grasp, but, but do this. I mean, just imagine with me for a moment the time in history, a time that once existed where there was a culture where men and women were obsessed with external beauty. 
You know, believe it or not, it happened. Where, where, where women were based, were, were given value based on their physical appearance. And powerful men misabused and, and abused uh, women for sexual gratification. And because of this cultural reality, women would do whatever they could do to get ahead. I mean, they would, they would undergo these beauty treatments and these strict diets and this rigorous exercise, doing whatever they could to rise above the other women in the culture. I mean, like it or not, there was a time in history when older men with wealth and power would try to attract and control younger women. Can you imagine a culture like that? (laughs) Has anything really changed? There was an article uh, in the New York Times a a few years ago about a socially conscious group, a group called the Barbie Liberation Organization. It's true. I'm not kidding. The Barbie Liberation Organization. A few years back, there was this group, and what they did was they launched a prank Uh, where they went out and bought hundreds of G.I. Joe dolls and hundreds of Barbie dolls, and they purchased them in New York City, and and they took them to this this place, and what they did is they would exchange uh, the little voice boxes that were in this particular G.I. Joe doll with the voice box in this particular Barbie doll. And so they swapped these voice boxes of all of these dolls, and they sent them back to the store. This is great. I mean, this really happened. Uh, Here's what happened. Over the next few days, there was story after story, hundreds of reports of little boys opening their G.I. Joe action dolls, and when they push the button, they'd hear things like, let's go shopping, you know, or Ken, let's plan our wedding. And uh, at the very same time, there were hundreds of girls who opened their Barbie dolls, and, and they pushed a little button only to hear Barbie say, vengeance is mine, you know, you, you know, I, I'm coming after you, eat lead cobra, you know, I mean, th- those are the types of things that they heard. Serious. As a man raising a daughter right now, um, I am thankful uh, that the Bible makes a very strong statement that the true value of women is not based on external appearances, uh, that our Bible and our God teaches that women are called to so much more uh, in this world and in this church, and a woman's, a woman's calling uh, is so much more than waiting around on a man to choose you and to make you feel significant. Uh, Esther is a story like that. It's a story of a girl who was called and anointed and empowered by God, and eventually she found that courage to act on the call that God had put in her life. You know, Esther's God-given gift of beauty enabled her to find her way into the palace. And, And while her beauty was a big part of getting into that pageant, it was her character and it was her faith that enabled her to find all of this influence with the most powerful man in the world at the time. I want to ask you this today. What's your gift? What's the gift that God has given you? What are the gifts that you believe or that you've discovered that God has put into your life? You know, maybe you're a leader, And because of that leadership gift, you have this great ability to influence others so that they might take action. Uh, Maybe you're an organizer, and because you're an organizer, you just know what it takes uh, to get a particular job done. Uh, Maybe you're an artist, and and through your art, you're able to tell the story of God in ways that words could never possibly uh, describe. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. And because of these, this gift, you've just got this, this ability to invite people into your home and to treat them in such a way that they leave feeling like they are the most important people living on the planet. Uh, maybe you're good with numbers. 
Uh, maybe you are a good at fixing things and building things. Maybe you're a great teacher, or because you have great faith, you pray in such a way that others are able and willing to believe too. God has given you gifts. And if you know those gifts, it might just be a clue to what God is getting you ready for, what God wants you to do in your life right now. And not only did Esther have these gifts, but she also had a cause. And some of you have a cause too. Now, what's a cause? A cause is just something that makes your heart beat faster. You know, it's something that you can't get off your mind. You know, it's something that when you see it, or when you find yourself close to it, it it just does something to you. And it's just interesting. It's interesting what happens when our gifts collide with a cause. And God lines us up for that moment. And then add to that that when you find a group of people that are excited by the very same cause as you, and the next thing you know, people start talking about what it would look like to really make a difference. And before you know it, this passion really turns into action. Look at verse 15. It says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She said, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and, my, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law, and if I perish, I'll perish. You see that transformation in Esther? You see that courage in her? I mean, all of a sudden, she goes from this frightened, submissive young queen to someone who is ready to take on this leadership role. And the passion is right there. I mean, it's in those words, if I perish, I perish. What a great way to live, you know, when you're serving the Lord, when you make him the number one priority in your life to be able to say those same words, if I perish, I perish, but if I perish, I'm going to perish serving the Lord. I mean, she's like, it's almost as you're saying, you know, we're, we're all going to die one day, and I believe so importantly in this moment of my life that I can't think of any other way that I would rather die. I mean, Esther felt so compelled from this calling on her life from God that she was willing to give her life for it. I mean, it became the passion of her life. Um. In, in case you haven't heard, um, I'm excited to, to tell you that Genesis, well, Genesis is excited to welcome home uh, Brandon and Katie Hutchins, and uh, they're not able to be with us today, but uh, they've been serving on staff with Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti for the past couple of years, and if you've been around Genesis at all, uh, you know the Hutchins. If you've been on one of our trips to Haiti, you've had the opportunity to serve with them, to get to know them, and, and you love Brandon and Katie, and we love their story. Well, uh, Brandon and Katie were just minding their own business, uh, doing life, working in the community, and serving at Genesis Church when they first signed up uh, to go, one of our, go on one of our mission trips to Haiti just a few years ago. And, and they didn't just go on one, but they quickly signed up for a second one. And, well, whether they first realized it or not, God was preparing them. He was doing something in their lives, and I don't know exactly for sure what it was. Uh, It was probably had something to do with interacting with some amazing people and all of the time with the kids. And and I think it probably had something to do with the material poverty that they witnessed firsthand. And, well, at the time, the very specific NVM staff need they had and when they learned about it. I mean, whatever it was, somewhere along the line, they had to think to themselves, you know what, someone has to do something about this. And what they came to realize is that they were the someone's. And Brandon and Katie quit their jobs and they moved out of their home and they sold most everything they had and they moved to Haiti for what was supposed to be a one-year commitment that turned into almost a two-year commitment. And, 
Well, in the past couple of years, they've contributed in some amazing ways to the work that God is doing through NVM right now, and we're happy to have them back. And uh, Katie's starting school, nursing school this week. And if you ask the Hutchins, you know, they'll tell you that there is no way that God has finished with them in Haiti yet, but really probably just getting them ready for what's to come next. And while they're ready and willing to be used for anything, anywhere, Haiti's their thing. It's their cause. But what's yours? What's your thing? What's that cause in your life? I mean, what's that passion inside of you that when you see it or you experience it, there's just something in the core of you that wants to say, you know what, someone should do something about this. I mean, what's that one thing that you come back to over and over again? I've got some people like that in my life. I have a friend who uses her veterinary degree as a means for serving the poor in South America. It didn't take long. It didn't take many visits to some third world countries before it struck her that, you know what, someone has to do something about this. Um, I have family members that have committed their lives and are now serving. They've moved to Central Asia, and in spite of the obvious risk, they've committed their lives to serving the Muslim people there. Uh, I have a friend that is planting a church right now on a college campus in Louisville, and there's not a whole lot of money in it, but he does it and he firmly believes, he does this because he firmly believes that, that college students uh, following Jesus can change the world. I have friends that open their home to foster to children. I know a pastor that believes that there will be no orphans in heaven, so why should there be any on this earth? Uh, he's leading his church <clears throat> to be a part of that solution. Um, I know people who choose smaller homes uh, so that they can give even more away uh, to help people who are in need. Um, I know people who spend weeks at a time sleeping on the street with homeless men and women, all because they believe that these men and women should know the hope of Jesus Christ in their lives too. And, And I know men and women and teens who serve every single week in ministries like our Gen Kids Ministries because they know the difference the gospel message can make in a child's life. What's it for you? What's your cause? I mean, what gets your heart beating? What is it that moves you to tears? You know, what is it that God is maybe preparing or even equipped you to do? You know, maybe you're here today and you maybe would say, you know what, I'm in a place in my life right now where I am waiting and I'm just not hearing from God, and you are waiting, and you want him to show you more, and you're maybe even a little frustrated with with what's not happening in your life right now. So I want to encourage you with this. Um, Do you know that in all of the book of Esther, that the name of God isn't mentioned one time? It's not there. Like it's the one book in the Bible that does that. I mean, not once, no mention of God, the Lord, or anything. I mean, the entire book has no mention of God. But it's not by accident. It was done on purpose. It's not like the author finished the story, you know, handed the Bible off to be published and was like, oh, geez, I left God's name out of Esther. Oh, you know. I mean, it didn't happen like that. I mean, it was was intentional. It was a, a purposeful literary technique used whereby an author intentionally withheld the name of God and well, I mean, if you're familiar with the Old, Old Testament all, you know that it's full of unexplainable stories like the Red Sea parting and the plagues and fire falling from heaven. And, and when you read those stories, I mean, God is clearly there and present and behind them all. But the story of Esther is unique in that the Jews are delivered through a st- string of connected and even at first glance coincidental circumstances. But do you know what? There are no coincidences with our God. 
You know, and, and when I think about it, you know, my life is a lot like Esther's too, and, and maybe yours is too, because when I look back on my life, I can't say that I've seen any seas part. I've never seen fire fall down from heaven. But what I do when I look back on my life is I just see story after story of people and events and places and circumstance. And I know that through each of these, it was just the Lord leading and guiding all along the way where nothing is insignificant. Uh, There are no coincidences. And I believe that's what the writer of Esther is trying to communicate to, that God is no less at work in a string of connected circumstances in your life than he is in the miraculous or the unexplainable. I'm going to ask our band to come out um, as we get ready to wrap up here. Um, And I want to ask you again, what's your thing? Uh, What's the cause in your life? Uh, Look around you right now. I mean, just kind of ask yourself, I mean, what what does God want to do through my life? What's he want to do through my story? Uh, What are the gifts that that I've learned and discovered? Or what are those things where others have said to me, you know what, here's what I see in you. And what are those causes? What are those situations that you've come across and you just thought to yourself, you know what, someone should do something about this. I mean, maybe for you it's about new people. uh, Welcoming new people into a, a church like this. Uh, Maybe it's about welcoming new people onto a street like yours. Maybe your passion is for single moms. Uh, Maybe your passion is for students or college students. Maybe, Maybe it's about realizing here this morning that you know it's no accident by where you live, the apartment building that you're in right now, the dorm that you're going to move into in a couple of weeks or your high school hallway. What's that one thing that you would look to in your life and you can't help but think, you know what, someone has to do something. But is it possible that the creator, that our God, might open up your heart in such a way today to see that that someone is really you, and he's been waiting on you. And as we discovered last week, you know, our God is calling each of us to be his modern-day temple builders in this world, and we've been tasked with this mission of bringing God's presence to this earth, and specifically for Genesis Church, helping people find their way back to God. Friends, I believe that God is calling each and every one of us to greater things. And the truth is that you've got some opportunities in your life even right now, opportunities to say yes. And that's the very thing you need to do today. Just like Esther, is say, yes, Lord. Yes, you can use me. Let's pray together. As you bow your heads right now, I want to give you some time to kind of reflect and maybe let the Lord lead you as he would during this time. But I want to just point this out to you as we pray, um, that I think the defining moment for Esther wasn't so much in Mordecai's challenge or even his classic words that you are here for such a time as this. But rather, I think the defining moment for Esther was when she made up her mind to pray. And she asked Mordecai to pray. And she asked Mordecai to ask others to fast and pray. Because on her own, Esther knew that she wasn't up for the task. And so she prayed and opened up her heart. And with the help of God, she discovered that she was capable of doing anything. I want to give you this time today to pray, but before I do that, I want to ask you, what do you need to pray for today? Maybe it's the courage to act. Maybe that he would open your eyes to see a cause that's worth giving your life for. Maybe ask God to reveal some of those gifts he's given you and how you can put them to work. Ask God to help you find a place to serve at Genesis. Ask God to help you say yes to some of the opportunities around you right now. 
or even if you recognize today that you're not in the right place in your life and you've been running from God, maybe ask him this morning to bring you back. You just take this time with the Lord for the next couple of minutes and go to him.